Are you guys ready? Yeah. I mean, as ready as you're gonna be, given that I've explained virtually nothing. introduction to what's about to happen. I'm going to play you guys a song that's by Mac Dre and it's called Not My Job. And for me, this is why I wanted to do this episode of Human Eye. Oh, also, Human Eye is a podcast with Miranda Javid and Max Guy. We talk about art and stuff. Today we're joined with Bettina Young. Hi. Hey. What should we say about Bettina? Uh, Bettina's our best friend. <laughs> and... Come on, what else? <laughs> well, I'll go. What can you know. we say? I, I feel like you'll. Yeah, I feel like you'll do a better job, also. Well, okay. So Bettina's a, one of our best friends, someone we're in constant communication with via a text message chain. Yes. So effectively, anything you've heard on the show before is actually informed by a lot of conversations with Bettina, and we've been trying to work together for a long time. Right now, Max and I are still traveling. We're in New York together and it's a perfect opportunity to sit down with Bettina who's been making work and mostly most recently you put on a show at King Spa and then made this like radical website that I hardly understand but just think is so cool and weird filled with uh, installations in that space and so you're like a practicing artist but you're also figuring things out you're trying to figure out how to make a living and do something you like and how that fits together with a meaningful life, potentially in the arts, but more importantly, just doing something. And I think that's something me and Max can both relate to very easily, and pretty much anyone I know who's in their late 20s and comes from some background in the arts is truly struggling with this notion. So that's, that's part of today's conversation. And now I'd like to play a little bit of Mac Dre. So just listen to this, think it through, guys. Perfect. Dre rock the jewelry with the clear stones. And get on the nigga head like some earphones. Up in the spit it with a clear tone. Get your attention on the biggest things since the TV invention. Dope is all off, a big shot of show off. Plus I'm a big pimp, I get toe off. Fuck a good job. She need a good job to sell BJ's to her mouth get raw. I'm from the California coast, beaches and bridges. Hit the cock, get ghost. I don't be sleeping with bitches. I got a cool nut sitting on wires. On Vogue's, bitch, not Michelin tires. Can't control my desires. I buy from Nordstrom's, not Fred Myers. I do a lot of weed, love my suppliers. You keep it, fuck the blood out my supplier. Man, I'm bigger than life. I do it magnum. About these broke bitches, I'm through it having them. Dre Bogart, he shoving, he push. And start a wolf for nothing like G.W. Bush. We be loving the kush, but only in the backwood. Without a backwood, we ain't all that good. I'm from the streets where most need heat. But I slice a nigga up like roast beef meat. I can bust you a rap. And anything else, nothing like job. I'll peel your cap back. And anything else, nothing like job. I get you for racks, and anything else, not my job. I make you a slap, but anything else, it's not my job. Bitch gon' ask me to come with her to grocery shop. I told her straight up like this, no sorry, Bob. That's, That's not, not my, my job. job. I don't do that. I'm a pimp slash rapper. I thought you knew that. And we all do that. Should I serve him the news and let him know he's finna be walking in some brand new shoes? Ooh, you a fool. Gotta watch thyself. One boss move, when you can stop thyself. Sometimes I'm not myself. Huh? I'm another man. I'm a rock star in another band. Plus, I'm the man with the plan in his hand. Soon we'll be all playing sand. Cause to my estimations and calculations and all the money I made off the rompilation. And to get as many digits that's on my license plate and shit on some of these midgets, bitch, I can't wait. I can bust you a rap, but anything else, it's not my job. I'll pay your cap back, but anything else, not my job. I'll get you for racks, but anything else, 
not my job. I make you slap, but anything else, it's not my job. When I dip, they trip off with fro dressed in. Plus, I got a mouth full of girls' best friends. I'm a back to the future, new game kind of nigga. Y'all lames is plain, drinking the same kind of liquor, wearing the same kind of clothes, fucking the same kind of hoes. And you bedrock pimping, me and your game's kind of old. And you don't want it with me. I bother ya, so get lost, pal, before I clobber ya. Golden gloves, I give you a new look with a stiff left and a sharp right hook. Niggas no snitches, they ride and they bail with them. It's all gravy, as long as they don't tell on them. Me and my team, see we a machine. You fuck with my mans and I'ma have to intervene. I'm a sport coat and a Sancho. Always looking out for Benny Blanco. In terms of what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I'm more interested in the parts where he's he's being extraordinarily clear about what's not his job. What is not his job? <laughs> than okay. I am the parts where he's he's talking about how he like shops at Nordstroms and will like chop someone up. Right. So. <laughs> But seriously, this like this girl's like, let's go grocery shopping, and he's like, no, I will, I will only write you a rap song, or you know, you can pay me for sex because that's his whole deal too. It's like he's he's, a, he's so good at sex that pe- like women pay him. That's his job in addition to rapping. I think that's just <laughs> entitlement. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> That what song you- is about entitlement. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about it's about it's about micromanagement. It's about clarity. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether he's right or wrong, mm-hmm. like he's like drawing the line between what yeah, and the he thing- will do and what he won't. But but the things that he does that he that are his job, he's he's gonna get paid for. So the tension that I often feel as a creative person is is. A lot of the things that I feel most attached to or excited about are actually the things I get paid the least to do. Even to this day, when I'm sometimes making money from art or animation, hmm. I, I struggle to like have the more creative parts of it, the parts that I truly feel are my job, be the parts that pay me. And then on the other hand, just like there's that moment where you have to say that art is your job. and and tell people that it's not a hobby and it's not for fun and that it's actual work. I mean, I used to, I remember always go to my like dentist and, and they'd be like, oh, that's so nice. You just draw all day. It's so fun. It's not like that. It's my job. Yeah. Take it seriously and pay me. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to yeah. like, prove yourself in a certain, in a certain capacity. I think kind of having some like something to show for your labor is a part of what people value and justify as being worth paying for. What do you mean like justify or what how do you how do you validate that or what do you think society is asking for that would allow someone to be paid for what otherwise looks like for in your case like prop styling like how do you say that that's something that it like you're validated in? How do you get that certification? Um, Yeah, I think those kinds of boundaries are a little bit nebulous because there are certain areas in which someone can just fit into a role that's pre-existing. But for art and for creative practices, that's a little bit, it's a little bit more nebulous. Why? Because of what you just said. It's like, how do you validate how do you validate labor? If you're, especially when your end product can, it can be so many different things. It can be a different aesthetic. It can be, you know, you might consider it like a design language and someone else might not. So I think the hardest part about 
making someone recognize the value of your labor is maybe in part just quantity, but also, yeah, I think quantity and something to show for that labor. And then just like the time that you're taking out of your life to do it. What are you quantifying? Time. Okay. But if it was just time, then then the quality wouldn't matter, right? Cause that not would... Yeah, not necessarily. I don't think the quality always matters. I think time matters more and production matters more. This might be jumping into the deep end a little soon, but do you think that in the world that you're existing in, which I know a little bit about freelancing, that I would, I would imagine that a big part of it is just convincing people that you're qualified but, mm-hmm. And you're saying time is the thing that approves that. But, and it's funny, especially in sometimes in an aesthetic field or, or something where you have to design a concept or a look to something, mm-hmm. the, the skill or the, the part where you convince them it's your job comes in how you talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's That's almost true. like sales. Yeah, it's very much like selling yourself or faking it till you make it, I guess. But... It depends. Well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about jobs? Are you talking about a personal creative practice? Are you talking about, I guess, those two things working in tandem towards being paid for what? Yeah, for what you, I'm talking you about do. that threshold and the ambiguity, and it, mm. it, it's, it bothers me as I get closer to my goals and hopes that that line actually becomes harder to define Mm -hmm. but I so know that it's still there Mm -hmm. and so I am talking right now about speaking to a client about something that I frankly wouldn't care about but where I want to get paid a certain amount and I Mm want to help them to achieve their vision and I'm happy to be there so I end up like doing some kind of conversation or, or pitch to them and hopefully could guide them through a process that they're excited about but also to some extent like make them trust me and believe that I can do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I'm writing this big film right now that's like not necessarily getting direct funding or something other than than through my university, but uh, I still feel like the need to convince my collaborators and things. So there's Mm -hmm. some of that that repeats. Which is very much like a sales, that's like a role of a salesman. I know, and I if I didn't have that skill set from years of working in sales, I don't, I mean, I'd be picking it up right now, I guess, just on the fly. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because that's not the art, and yet the art is my job. So where do you think we learn that? I mean, apart from, do you think that we ever actually learn those things apart from having jobs in sales? Or uh, I feel like, Miranda, you've always kind of made an effort to think professionally about what you do. I think that yeah, we do. As, as artists, that ends up being a big part of it, no matter what. Remember Ingrid Burrington saying to me like 10 years ago now that she was shocked to figure out how much of her art practice was answering emails. But she meant it. She meant that's like a big part of my art practice. And then on the other hand, Justin, my boyfriend, has never had very many real jobs, like in terms of office jobs or things that were stepping stones. But he's been freelancing now for like eight or nine years and I learned so much from just being around him and the stuff that he's had to pick up just by constantly fighting for jobs and defending himself and and getting paid. So yeah, you can definitely learn those things. I just think it's interesting to point out that like maybe when you are in college still or you're, you're thinking about what your future in the arts might look like that it's not always quite clear how much of it is going to also be this stuff, like the business side, the organization side, and whether that's okay, whether there's a fantasy situation where that doesn't exist and you can more more directly just tap into the making, or whether that's a realistic part of stuff and and we need to embrace it. Max, do you want to talk about where you're at right now? So here's where I am. Uh, I just made this decision to move back to New York and I've been staying with my parents for the last week and I think I'm going to live with them for about maybe a month or so while I look for jobs or however long it takes and then save up and then find an apartment. That's really great. 
in my week of being here, I've been talking to my mom quite a bit about, I guess, just jobs and things that I do that for all intents and purposes, she kind of sees as more as like glorified hobbies and is kind of uh, pushing me to recognize the things that I've done in my life that I guess I could, that are marketable. Like one example then is this podcast actually. (laughs) And it's funny, it it really, she kind of harshed my mellow this morning when I, uh, when I told her I was going to record and she started asking me questions about the podcast and about analytics and you know, the consistency of recordings, all of these things, um, I got a little sensitive about it. Uh, Miranda, you pointed out maybe an hour ago or something that like, actually you are very good at those things. And, um, (laughs) and I, and have like deliberately kind of taken a step back on this podcast from, from like pushing analytics or, like a professional tenor or something. Exactly. Yeah. I to me, and and this is always like up for conversation mm-hmm. with the group or even Bettina, you as like a listener or, or like someone in our lives anyway. But I, there's a lot of stuff in my life that's my job, and I just want this. I want this to be for fun with you and me. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel so engaged and excited whenever I'm working with you. And there's that word work, but. I think if I start bringing in things like analytics and start worrying about who's listening and who's not, it's not going to have the same quality to it. And I mean, we talked when we architected this show like a year and a half ago now, Mm -hmm. longer, but we talked about a bunch of things, including episodes about professional development, stuff we're doing now where we would speak really honestly about the ways we made money and how it actually works trying to do this stuff and our, our own failures at it. And we also said we would work with our friends when we wanted to. We tend to have friends that we respect and are constantly excited to learn from. But at the same time, you and I talked about not having this like false division between like, and now we're going to go into the studio of such and such like artist and pretend we don't have this like backstory with them or that like all living in Baltimore didn't lead to some of those things. And for me, that's connected to the professional development because I think that's the real world. And, and it's more you and I going towards what we care about and love than it is trying to become, we're not going to become famous from this, you know, like at all. Yeah. And that's what I want out of it. I want, I want the archive of us together thinking through these things and yeah same uh it's interesting because i think that this podcast is closer to the things that i want to do in in general which is interview and converse and uh i often find find it difficult to distinguish and to even decide on what it is that i want to call my job you know uh although since being here i've been thinking about it constantly because I need work what does thinking about it mean at this point to you or is it is it tough is it do you feel an enormous pressure do you have a sense of clarity but practically just need to make cash yes that it's the latter I, I think that now thinking about it means just writing lots of cover letters and just re-articulating to myself the experiences that I've had how they qualify me for different positions. Do you write a lot of cover letters right now? Yeah. And are they, the way you just described it, it almost sounded like they were actually helpful to you. Are, are they? They're pretty helpful to me, yeah. And they make me go back as far as my undergraduate experience. So now I'm applying for jobs in programming, you know, in, in museum education and programs. So that means that I would be discussing, hosting events, and working with an audience to engage with art. I guess I've been doing that for a long time now, but it's always been on this scale where I just kind of consider myself a slacker with all of it. You know, a very prolific slacker, maybe. But now I'm, I'm kind of excavating things from, from undergrad, like my experience in art education classes. So I have written lesson plans before. I've taken classes on teaching K through 12, etc. 
just kind of mining my own memory in that sense. I mean, I looked at my old undergrad transcript the other day just to get the name of certain courses. and It also begs a certain question related to talking about having a background in sales later actually helping you as an artist. Mm-hmm. If, if you spend years doing something that you think isn't leading anywhere, it truly is still. Like, there are many branches that I look back on and think that wasn't the direction I truly wanted to go in, but I can now pull from that background in a lot of different ways, whether it's exporting it to convince somebody of something about me or truly, like in your case, those art ed classes, I think, do help you to be in a room and and thinking about like a shared audience experience or like visitor experience. Maybe leaving things open, this kind of ambiguity that Bettina mentioned earlier is important because you can kind of, within that, filter things. Yeah. Maybe there's even room for a sort of in- innovation within that. Or I want to use innovation, but I'm just thinking about your show, uh, the King Spa Fitness website, and how that combines your experiences with, with uh, prop photography and prop styling but also your interest in poetry and writing and your interest in kind of bringing people to bring together your friends and exhibiting their work. It combines a bunch of your interests and your skills. And I keep thinking about it as a sort of, as an interesting curatorial endeavor because it points to a specific place and it's kind of this blatant advertisement of a space that you might not actually see the interior very often. And so it's an incorporation of a couple of things, but there is this interesting moment where, you know, you you just use kingspafitness.info. They're probably not going to sue you for that or any copyright because you're just advertising for them. Although they might. I don't know. Did you think about that? I did. I I just figured that the project was so under the radar that, and because I'm not profiting commercially from it, mm-hmm. that it's not it's not an issue. The only issue would be that, you know, maybe there was a, a nude body in the background and then I would need to remove it because that's like, you know, against the policy. Right. But yeah, I, I like what you're saying about the goal of the project because ultimately I have very few goals. The ambiguity is a crutch that I use to navigate whatever project that I conceive of, one of which includes this like pursuit of prop styling. I think it's a fun, it's a kind of labor. It's a fun labor. It pays really well here. I want to do more of it, but I also recognize that it's a kind of labor that every artist like has. Like any, any artist can be a prop stylist, I think, if they're resourceful and you know, can schlep things because they usually have an eye for how things end up and ultimately things are ending up more so as images than they are. They they exist as documentation, I think, more so ultimately than anything else. I want to talk to you more about that because on our drive back from Savannah, you were talking about how you imagine a final product in print form or in a flattened form. Mm -hmm. So I think I, I imagine things as their end product and oftentimes that is in a two-dimensional image. So I think that that is also why things like gallery websites, you know, are so pervasive because it's easily accessible. Anyone can kind of look at it from a device or, you know, you can go to an internet cafe and like log into a computer and pull something up very quickly, whether it's amazon.com or like ArtViewer. And it's like, it's the same format. It's the same kind of structure that's populated with with products and whether whether those products are passive or more invested in it's still that structure is still the same to me and that's why I think I always right. end up with that end product. Well, I want to talk about that that passive relationship to the product and again hinging on some of the sales talk like when you were on our podcast before you asked not to be credited in like, should I can I leave that in? Oh yeah. Wait, yeah. you mean when I did the the mix? Yeah, you were like you were. Oh, like, I was like, I didn't talk in any of your previous podcasts. And of course, you wouldn't be able to give me credit. Well, so <laughs> you you had an aversion to that, and then even the King Spa site. I, I've seen work like this before, and I, I want to be very clear about how I talk about it because sometimes work like that can for me be very alienating because it it 
I just want to know what's going on and maybe that says something about me and a website like that that has a level of art objectiveness to it already it can it can be hard to realize that it's not the King Spa website but I think you you truly embrace and go towards that and that the way that you're using language where it half sounds like a a luxurious weekend away and then like the sentence structure gets a little wonky and the text is really big puts me in a in a exciting uncomfortable space and I was so so happy to see that this week uh, from you knowing about the project but not realizing how much it was going to affect me to look at it and then yeah this like what Max is saying like it's kind of an endorsement for the space but they didn't hire you to do that and like what's what is the end point there is the question I think that that art piece asks which is funny because I know you as a person are asking yourself questions about this stuff like very specifically in your own life like where do I want to go how do I want to do it what is it shaped like I don't think the work is like autobiographical in that way and but it's still like related to all of these issues does that sound right or tell me if I'm way way off no, I mean, I guess I don't know which part to address first. So maybe start, <laughs> maybe rephrase one of those ideas and then let me respond. Well, let's talk about the passive experience of something that hinges on a sales format. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that for this particular project, a lot of it had to do with my interest to try and put a show together. So for like a purely... Uh, for like pure technical skill like I wanted to know what it was like to reach out to other artists to start a conversation with people that most of which I knew but some of them I only knew peripherally and whose work that I liked and admired and opening up a conversation about what it'd be like to have a show not in a conventional space and because it's not in a conventional space and people won't necessarily be coming to see it because they can't, how can that live and exist online? And I think this is a conversation that's pretty exhausted. Like, I think that a lot of artists now understand this format. They understand that the work needs to be documented, needs to be somewhere so everyone can see it. Um, And that it almost doesn't matter where it ends up. And it almost doesn't matter where it ends up, which is why I think King Spa is not necessarily like, you say it's like free endorsement. To me, it's like, it, it could be any place. Yeah. But I picked King Spa because it is close. I, I think the dynamic of the space is really interesting. Um, the spa itself kind of playing with these, like, these gendered spaces and then these like co-ed spaces and the temperatures, I was really responding to the aesthetic interior, but also the actual feeling of what the space is like, what the spaces are like, because all the rooms are like different temperatures or like different humidities and whatnot. Um, so that being sort of the the foundation for which like these these works could exist in for a very short window of time. Um, in terms of the kind of passivity that that documentation documentation in that format sort of you know provides. <laughs> Um, I think that's interesting because all of our experiences online tend to be pretty passive. Like, I think that when you look at something online, it's very immediate. And I think it reaches you in a certain way that, like, you know, it's, sell- it's selling you something or it's showing you something. Um, and the amount that you can engage with it is very limited, which is why I was trying to use this kind of, like, pseudo poetry to you know exercise a creative license to create some some mythologizing of of a space I'm asking of an ambiance dumb questions but yeah. why would why would poetry do that and do oh. you feel like you genuinely were writing poetry or are you saying you're using poetry no i always i don't know how to write i don't know how to write poetry i don't know anything about poetry i'm always borrowing languages always like I'm not formally or academically sound in any capacity which is why I wanted to do this which is why I wanted to write something that was kind of open and weird and maybe doesn't follow any rules except for the rules that I've been seeing in the world of 
art, which is promoting things online, kind of using these websites as a platform to share the work. Um, you know, people will write these press releases that are so bizarre and <laughs> ambiguous and like maybe don't even say anything, but it will always create an aura of ambience around the show. And I think that sensation is maybe something I was striving for and I'm not like, I didn't realize it until just now. You know what's interesting about this also? I feel like you often like couple things that I would just consider like redundant. Mm -hmm. But in you explaining the poetry versus like the documentation, you you said something about aesthetic interior versus the feeling of spaces before. Mm. And uh, and I was going to ask you like what, how do you differentiate between aesthetic and feeling when you're talking about interiors? But maybe one corresponds to the documentation and then one corresponds to the, the writing. Yeah. And, and the, when I say aesthetic, I always use it in reference to the way things kind of look, whether that's in real life or the way that you perceive it as a photograph, as like a two-dimensional image, like a JPEG, the aesthetic of that and then the interiors. I mean, I think when I describe interior, I'm thinking about the design and the layout of a physical, of a physical space more. My butt's really sweaty. Yeah, we're all we're all a little sweaty right now. Sweaty butts. Wait, I'm gonna get water. I think I'm wearing dirty underwear. I think I accidentally <laughs> put like just as just as like a side note. <laughs> I'm. I don't think no no it's clean. I'm gonna probably have to do laundry while I'm here because I think I'm gonna stay a day or two longer. If you need to do laundry. You can, you can come to my crib. If you guys want some tea, I made this jasmine tea. Oh, that looks great. Just don't spill it on the laptop. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. I also, have, yeah. I have just something I really need to say to Bettina. How's that? I don't know that I've ever said this to you before, but maybe I have. You use language in the weirdest way I have ever. You're like one of the weirdest speakers I know. Yeah, you're a poet. You are a poet. <laughs> and a I, poet. I never know when it's choice or when it's it's just how you think the sentence structure is like supposed to be but you break rules constantly mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's intentional or not and i don't even care it's not like a problem for me that i need to resolve you just said aura of ambiance <laughs> what the fuck man and like <laughs> so what is going but on that's about? not that's like i just this don't use so proper wrong. english no, but it's, that what you mean? it's different yeah, you than do. slang. Like, it's so I'm, different than slang. You don't talk like other people. It's, it's, it's you. Oh, I'm, I'm peeking right now. I should talk. It's cool. We'll have to turn that down. But I just got so... This is, like, so important to me. It's like how, I guess, I would, like, behind your back in a positive way talk about you if it wasn't... If I was talking about, like, your work or your the way that you make things. Mm -hmm. I would probably back up and tell a story about, like... Yeah, just some phrase you used in the past and how it confused me. And I'll so, I'll, I'll think about what you say for days and days. Like, did she it won't be it won't <laughs> be intentional. I can tell you that now. Again, the way that I I feel like the way that my brain operates is that I'm constantly absorbing, I'm observing, and then I am indirectly maybe just stealing shit. I'm constantly just there's like a library of things like I hear something and I'm like oh that sounds like a thing that I can say and I relate to that so it'll just be in the back of my mind and then it'll it'll come up in conversation but then there are things like where I just can't speak English like I can't use in the English language properly and I I don't know I mean I know why it's because I just never had like a very good grasp of academia probably it's not that. even academic it's speech no. stuff though it's it's like it's like um i mean it is it's grammar it's it's the rules but fuck the rules and also like it's more than that it's like a it's it's yeah it's almost is, like the words are fitting they're like you're just picking from a bag of words and right. assembling like them and then things, putting a period. things are always a, a kind of mm. a puzzle to me and i just have i mean i think i work this way physically too i just have these resources and then I put them together and if it like sounds okay or I feel like it's conveying this feeling that I'm feeling then that's fine and I guess if people don't get it that's also okay to me because I know that I don't get it but it's conveying <laughs> it's conveying something that's more than just like the the exchange of 
meaning as language and I don't well, I, we can't wouldn't even that, be able to we talk. can't take that for granted anyway I mean that's the we don't right mm. I mean I'm not I'm, well, we can't like get into semiotics and stuff but it's, it's relevant be because and and I think this definitely relates to why I wanted you in this room along with Max today to have this conversation because is it anti-professionalism or not or is an and or is it that the professionalism of the past doesn't make any sense anymore and that this is how we process things this is like how we make work and this is how we we do it like your mom max saying that we need to get analytics on this website yeah i don't i respectfully adore your mom but i don't think that's true i don't think that's even anti-professional of us not to to have something in our lives that isn't professional does that make sense it does i also think that to capitalize off of something that seems like vernacular or hobbyist is it makes something fashionable and that's where like the the marketing comes in we could talk about I mean King Spa like the format of an online kind of document an online exhibition being like a a parallel to even like a museum catalog or something you know like a briefer kind of study we could talk about insane documentation on a website where they don't edit the photos and they just like upload. We can talk about gallery spaces or ex- exhibiting projects where people just take insane photos of their like domestic spaces or an install and then they have high resolution images that they just kind of upload straight to a website. What are you I'm, thinking of? I'm thinking about like Bedsty Love Affair. Bedsty Love Affair does that. Uh, Franklin Street does that. Um, First Continent. And First Continent does that. Mm-hmm. Oh, what are you what are you thinking of with them? I'm just thinking about the documentation on their website. It's always way too big for my computer screen, <laughs> and the, the the documentation is at times very raw, uh, kind of like an excruciating detail. Um, I'm just getting to know First Continent, so I'm, I'm asking questions just to... Yeah. I think it's interesting thinking about the design of these sites as marketing. And again, it goes back to why I was like thinking about doing Kingsball in the first place. You know, aside from just wanting to learn these technical skills and to work with other people, is that design is is important it can be i feel like it can be political it can be pervasive it can be viral so why every i mean everybody says that but why why do you feel like that's true well just in this example that max is giving in regards to these like like in your face unapologetic documentation where you pull you pull up this thing you want to know more about it and what you're left with is just a space or a feeling of a space. And it's almost an like an image. And they're almost like, not saying fuck you, but they're like, why do you need to know what we're about? This is, see, this is see this thing that's happening. We're doing it. And like... Be there instead of... Be there. Like, you want to be a part of this, like, you know... Um, sorry if I'm yelling. No, we, we got really... <laughs> we, we changed our volume and because we got excited about what we are talking about. And then now things... Are changing. <laughs> yeah, and I see this, you know, happening in cross disciplines too, like in fashion and in music, in ways that brands or entities or people promote themselves online. It's a kind of design strategy to like inflate FOMO. Is it design strategy always, or is there truly this political underpinning to it? Like, why do I want to? Why would I ever want to go to a website and be told "fuck you"? And yet. That's sometimes the vibe. I'm not referencing the galleries we just talked about because that's not mm. necessarily what I'm saying. But like this well, alienation or like this mm-hmm. this this like anti-design thing. I think maybe I'm using politically incorrect. I'm politically incorrect here, but I'm also using politi- politically in the incorrect way where that design strategy is a language and it's sort of responding to other things that are happening, right? So it's like not, while while it is making you feel or it's like evoking a certain sensation or feeling of like wanting to be a part of something or even not knowing the thing that you want to be a part of but you're enticed by it, is that's still a strategy, I think. Well, and how does the individuals feel, how do you feel in that sea? 
when you say you're just hearing all of these expressions and you're repeating them or, or collaging them into a new sentence like well, I think it's working because I'm sitting here talking about it I'm like what you know I'm curious I'm like what is that about it's it's in trend you know multiple entities are using this kind of language and I'm not I'm not a designer but all of us spend probably more than six hours on the internet every day or I do and you're just constantly being flooded with content so all I can do in the back of my head is say what am I seeing here what's happening consistently why is it happening consistently do I understand it and if I don't and I'm still thinking about it later, and then I see it again somewhere else, that's kind of like the cat in the matrix. It's telling me something's happening, and it's, it's something outside of me. The other night, one of my friends here was playing a music show, and he, he was happy to play it because he likes playing music shows, and he's a musician, but he was being paid something like $50 plus a video that would be like produced, and he was just like, you know, one of those live recordings that kind of looks a little cleaned up and is filmed with like a nicer camera. And they phrased it like, you will be paid in content. And he was rolling his eyes, just like, Ugh, can we just call it what it is? You're not paying me. And, but somehow that, that content is supposed to, and, and you, we're all in this situation often where it's like promotion or, or like exposure is supposed to be the payment, but it's not. It's really not, you know? When did content become such an important currency anyway? Like, mm. Right, like social, con- or social capital content is not uh, necessarily the same as, as somebody paying you in stocks and then mm-hmm. going public. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and it doesn't, it's, it's so hard to truly quantify in the sense of like, okay, yeah, anyone can go and install a show, make it look a certain way, pretend this gallery is like, or this space is like a fancy gallery and make you look like a real artist. That doesn't mean you're going to be making a living off of your work. That doesn't mean you're going to be getting the exposure or the infamy or all the things that like drive our egos anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's, it's everyone's getting something out of it. No. Or I don't mean easy, but just accessible. Yeah, but that's not the point, right? The point is to build yourself a brand, to build your own portfolio, which then over time, I think this goes back to what I was saying about time, over time people see you doing and producing enough and with that kind of breadth of work, whatever that kind of work is, someone can see that in a package and see you as a package and then maybe pay you for whatever labor you can provide them. What are they even seeing, though? Like, what do I see? I mean, I actually think you and I function a little differently with how we interact with the internet and our surroundings in the art world, too. But, like, when I'm seeing stuff and I'm passively ingesting people's work or professional lives, I don't know that it's meaning what I want it to mean to me unless I go and investigate and, as a viewer, form an active relationship to it. I'm not saying that that's like very hip or that there isn't something in the passive because there is. There's tons of mystique there and, and importance in documenting this world we live in right now. But I'm asking like, what is the, is that value in this, in the sense of like, is that really building a brand? Is that like, or is it just something that we were mimicking? If someone sees something you're doing and says, hey, I really like that. I want to work with that person. I think that's valuable. Yeah, but what if all they say is, hey, I really like that, and they kind of mean it, or you don't, you never know if they mean it or not. I never know well, if what I'm doing matters to anyone. I don't need, you don't want that kind of validation. I, I mean, I think the yeah, things that are valuable healthy. to you, 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 I disagree. you have, you have a radar, yeah, I, you have a radar <laughs> of what, you have a radar of what is valuable to you and what is not, and well, the things that are validating to you in terms of your feedback, and I think that you you know i'm not saying that receiving a compliment is not valuable but in terms of how you're quantifying the value of a certain kind of reception to what you're doing i think that if if you're putting something out there and it's reaching other people and you're working with other people that's valuable i mean it's not i want to actually wait. clarify though what i mean okay because and i don't think i don't think i'm purely talking about a space where someone's patting you on the back. I'm talking about an engaging conversation where the, the work or, I mean, yeah, I, I do want the kind of validation I'm talking about. I don't necessarily just want someone to say like, 
cool, you're cool, or, or the bad. Maybe I do sometimes because I'm a human being. But what I'm talking about is the feeling that you're not just sending like rockets into outer space. Like, but how can you control that? You don't have control over that anyway. No, you don't have control, but I, it, can be, it can be a goal or a desire. Mm-hmm. And I think this is maybe... There, I, I don't feel comfortable in the passive space even though I exist in it. Mm-hmm. as like a modern person mm. but I, I just wanted to be so clear about like the type of validation that I do think is important that leads mm-hmm. to better work not just for me like I mean I, I would I would want this for my students and my peers to like have yeah. the types of conversations I'm talking about where someone mm-hmm. like you know when I emailed like Robin O'Neill and I was like your work is changing my life right now and it was the week Mike Kelly died and yeah. she was flipping out about suicide and artists she knows and it was like a game changer for, for hopefully both of us, but it, it was talking about something and it wasn't just me following her on the internet or being like too scared to know what was going on in her life really. She's a human being who, like it wasn't bad to know all that information all of a sudden, it, didn't, it made the work better. You know, I, I made that comment that validation is never good and then kind of took it back. And I was thinking about why I said that, why I said that and why I took it back. I'm trying to think about why I would be against validation or attention. And maybe it goes back to... It can be misleading, I think. Maybe that's why you said it. Or one of the reasons why you said it. And we'd that. all agree with that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It can be misleading. And uh, I've just been kind of reevaluating my approach to a lot of... Uh, a lot of projects and things that I've done like earlier I said that I've been like kind of a prolific slacker but then that even goes back into this this conversation about like documentation like a kind of rawness and like alienation through advertising at some point I kind of at some point I, I want to say I I stopped enjoying that as a tactic because I realized maybe my direction was a little different from those things but that was at a, at a time that was a kind of given, you know, these, these sort of strategies of distribution of art become ubiquitous or they become, maybe I took those things for granted. I, I think we've talked about that before. We definitely have. But what hmm. does that leave you with then? The work, right? Do you mean the artwork in an exhibition or do you mean the work of putting together an exhibition? Mm. Well, I don't think that they're black and white. That's interesting, though, because I've been thinking about, I guess, this this aspect of documenting and, and distributing. And the interesting thing about your your exhibition is that it only exists in photography. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was there. There was no opening for it. It's not particularly a social event. It's, it's not it's, even in, it's, you said it's in New Jersey? The, uh, the spas in New Jersey. It's not yes. in your community immediately, right? Mm-mm. So in that case, one could consider it more of a photo essay. The distinctions between curating and photography and archiving, mm-hmm. all of these things are kind of brought up in this, in this project. Mm-hmm. And in the Soylent cookbook too. Yeah. The, they have a relationship there where it, it's, it's unclear whether it's a photo essay, an art object, or in, in some ways an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about how to distinguish what the exhibition was earlier last week, Max, when you came by. And you were saying something about um, your advisor making a distinction. Yeah, okay, so it was actually in a phone interview Mm -hmm. when I was applying for school. And they said, um, when you're curating, you're either making an exhibition or Mm -hmm. you're making a book. Mm-hmm. As in, you know, in a, yeah. a catalog. So that was really interesting to me because I feel like, you know, I, I was like, I, I kind of agree with that. I feel like a lot of exhibitions are books um, or they're photo essays. And this was the thing that you would want, you were saying you wanted to talk about in terms of perceiving, I guess, perceiving the documentation and how you would read it reading it in the most literal sense, but also in the way that it relates to the format of a, of a publication, of a book. Um, how are you digesting it? And is there a different way you're digesting that information from the way it's laid out in a book versus a quote-unquote exhibition? I think there is, for me, 
just because, and, and by book we're also talking about website, right? Like we're using those words interchangeably at this point or not? Yeah, we started talking about that too, how the book has kind of expanded. You know, there's a right. whole history of, I mean, that's, that's kind of what media theory mm. is about. But Well, and yeah, and are, these things are vaguely book-shaped that we are now experiencing them all. I mean, yeah, there's still, yeah. I, I'm making, I guess, whether we've gotten, yeah, the yeah. same. But for me, it's a very different experience because it's comfortable and it's back to that passivity. It's more like I can peruse and inform, but I don't have to be tired from standing or socially uncomfortable from a new situation, mm-hmm. or I don't have to be in a particular city. And so it it feels like a dream or mm-hmm. something. Or soon VR. Right. It's... it's, it's, it's <laughs> It's it's real. I don't want to. I, I don't want to distinguish between real and not real when I'm talking about like rocket ships or whatever. It's it's a real part, but it feels very interior, mm. and it feels like I could have just been imagining it. And I don't even know. I'm not as good as I think I would say you are, Bettina, at like even knowing how to use it to feel more human and connect with other people. Like it feels like it's it's just I'm it's just washing over me these like exhibitions or catalogs or websites, mm-hmm. and they yeah they just describe. Recently, I found myself looking at those documentation websites, you know, Contemporary mm-hmm. Art Daily or Art Viewer, asking myself whether or not it was beneficial for me to look at these exhibitions because of what we've been talking about the distinction between the documentation versus the actual install and the hang and everything. Mm-hmm and uh, wondering what I was getting out of looking at an exhibition online and, mm-hmm. the, and the press release formatted as such. I realized that I had been following that, that form for maybe five, six years, but mm-hmm. intending something completely different. What was the intention in your own work? My intention is to be there, to be present with the work. Mm-hmm and also to be able to, as we've been talking about, in- engage people in it and talk as we're talking now about what people are doing. And I don't know if I could ever do that through a photo and or and you I could, but go on. Yeah. Yeah, I probably could actually. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I see what you're saying, but, but I also agree with Miranda that like when someone sees something online and then wants to initiate a conversation from the thing that they've seen, I mean, that's that's why galleries do what they do. They shoot the work and they show it to collectors and then they say, like, I want to buy it or they want to come in and see it and then buy it there on the spot. But, I mean, that's a different kind of, that's like a different kind of transaction than I think most of what these smaller sort of spaces are intending to do. Is it wholly unique or is it inspired by the former? I think it's inspired by the former, and if, for sure. And is that is that? It's the same like problem. Stra- I don't think it's a problem. I think it's. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't see it as a problem. Okay. So do you know? Do you know what I mean by I've been like looking at this website for a long time, taking mm-hmm. it as a kind of given that that like not recognizing that I'm just kind of viewing it for an enjoyment as opposed to actually taking into consideration those kind of. Ex- exhibition websites mm-hmm. as a as a form like I'm mm-hmm. not doing that right. necessarily but I like looking at work on those websites mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily the way that I want to have things disseminated mm-hmm. that's not your job or, or no that's not my job it's not your job yeah exactly okay and that's yeah. not what you're trying to make the pathway of your job about yeah. it's something you feel like you have to know about or you enjoy knowing about for a, like a recreational mm-hmm. pastime, but it's not it's not your job, and I say this very comfortably as your friend. It's mm-hmm. like it's not what will be your contribution to yeah. the world. Your no. con- your contribution is being a curator. Like I in no way would actually describe King Spa as a curatorial project, even though I might have referred to it as that to the people who were involved for the sake of exhausting breath. Because yeah. what like how else am I supposed to identify something like that if if I need to propose something, you know, like if I if I want to initiate a project, I think that again, borrowing language that is familiar to people who are working in the arts, 
is a way of selling yourself. Like maybe I did just sell myself to the people who were involved um, because I had to propose it in such a way that they would want to be involved in the project. Right. Um, again, would not consider myself a curator, would say that Numax, what you do is very different from King's Bob and very different from the websites. Because what you're left with is ultimately less like a stylistic choice and a, a feeling of a kind of space or an ambiguity to maybe a, a, partic- a particular kind of narrative. I'm not saying that like curators don't create shows based on a narrative, but I think there's like a certain investment in time and the artwork that you're involved with. It, it distinguishes it distinguishes that kind of passivity, if I may use that word again in regards to how we're talking about the websites. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't, that, that work has nothing to do, like you said, it's not your job to do that. Maybe following that train of thought, what, do you, what did you feel committed to in that project? I think I felt committed to wanting to show works that were by friends of mine who like just haven't shown very much so like a way for them to also promote their own works and I would say that it was it was also for me like it was an exercise for me in in what in being able to articulate ideas for maybe potential other shows I don't know I I don't know because I don't know what kind of direction I would want to take that stuff in but I wanted to try it to see what it felt like, if it felt maybe dishonest. Did it? Um, or does it feel, how did it feel? It felt good. <laughs> like, satisfying? Yeah, it felt really satisfying. What parts of it felt like work, and what parts felt like... I think, like... Satisfying. Or hobby. Co- coordinating. Hobby. Coordinating felt like work. The hobby part of it felt... That was probably, like, the actual labor of, like, shooting the stuff. Like... It felt very much like I was prop styling the still life. And again, I... Wait, I you, the, did you just say you felt like that was the hobby part? Yeah. It Ooh, felt like... Intriguing. It felt That felt like the hobby part. The part huh. that felt The thing you satisfying. actually get paid to do in real life, you just said, was the hobby part. Mm-hmm. And then the thing... Huh. Yeah. <laughs> and then the thing that um, I think was most satisfying was actually just talking to the artists and kind of theoretically in my mind like mentally putting the puzzle together for the end product and seeing like how those works fit together you know um for the text yeah that part where you the stuff that you get paid for you kind of consider more hobbyish hobbit-ish Hobbit-ish. Sorry. <laughs> Just like, but uh, the parts that you consider more of a hobby are also the things that you will get paid for, that you do as freelance work. The labor. Yeah. So the but labor feels more like a hobby to you. The labor feels more like a hobby. And then I think putting together all the content felt more satisfying because it was, it was more than the sum of its parts I have, to me. I wonder if this is back to Mac Dre. You're saying that the parts that were more like what you just do for money, just like they don't matter as much to you, it sounds like. Or, or maybe matter is the wrong word, but like... No, I, no, exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a kind of labor. It's auxiliary is, and it's, it's mm-hmm. serving another goal. Mm-hmm. For me, when I used to work in office jobs, it was wholly serving another goal. It was just that I was getting cash so I could go to my studio at night. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the goal. Mm-hmm. But I, I would have called it my job if someone asked me what I do for money. But it, this is what I mean. That's not my job is not to be your, your administrator. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I can, and I will do it to right. Get it's by. like a type of labor. But like your your goal. I mean, you guys already know this though about me is that I don't know what I want to do. That's why I wanted to interview you because yeah. I think that's not wrong at all yeah i don't think so either but it's interesting to um have it in with archived in a conversation with you know coupled with people who do have goals like very specific goals that do shift quite a lot if you talked to me a year ago my goals would have sounded different yes but ultimately your work is towards a studio practice yes and 
you've always known that. Yeah, it's my it's my greatest. If you think about blessings or think like I mean that's always what I'm sort of most grateful for in my identity is that I've been very consistent with that. I mean, who knows? Maybe something will happen and I'll change at some point. But so far. I haven't. Yeah, and the same goes with Max, where he's very been very sure that he wants to curate. Yeah. And that's well, always that's been true. a goal for both of you. And for him, I think his relation... I'm speaking for you, so just interrupt me when I say the wrong thing. But I would I would argue that also for Max, and, and for me as his friend and outsider, like advising him in these things, what he thinks of a curator as is wholly his own definition. And I think part of the confusion, both in a site like Contemporary Art Daily yeah. or an institution that seeks to hire you, is that you're playing by someone else's definition necessarily. Mm-hmm. And the way you are, to me, is very consistent. And the term that seems to fit the best is curator, caretaker, as you often point to the root parts of it. But that comes with a whole set of like controversial, mm-hmm. like, do curators even want to be called curators anymore? Are they producers? Are they all these things? Yeah. And then you're stuck trying to decide how to export yourself and how to define your job when there isn't adequate language to do so. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's maybe one of the most exciting things about when you decide what it is that you want to, what you want to do. Things actually become more open because of Things open up within that specificity. Mm -hmm. Things explode from that, you Mm -hmm. know? So Well also things are more limited as well. So you're not you're not confronted with the confusion of choice. No, you might still be, actually. I'm saying yes, but I don't know if I agree with that. I need to think about that. I use it like a code where I apply the decisions I make to that code. It doesn't mean that the decisions are easy or clear. Sure. I agree. But sometimes it's like a helpful framework to say like, oh, but is that going to put me where I want to be? Or Mm -hmm. is that getting closer to the kind of sincerity I want out of the work? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, I mean, even is it getting me closer to a point where I have a lifestyle and hobbies that make me a healthy and happy and ultimately creative person? I should have clarified that that's what I was implying, is that when the choices that you are given are limited to the goal. They're limited to a direction. And when you don't have the goal in sight, those choices are infinite. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that that's interesting about that too is it's hard to delineate. I'm thinking about the phrase like fake it till you make it. Somebody told me that, you know, they just uh, or dress like the job you want, not the job mm-hmm. you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then to to get into a certain mindset where you're not just doing that and saying, like, I'm actually just lying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole other story, mm. you know? Like, how do you, like, when do you get to the point where you are no longer faking it or even mm-hmm. thinking that you're faking it? Have you ever lied about something so thoroughly that you forgot you, it was a lie? What do you remember? <laughs> yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I remember. I'm actually, have you? I, I didn't have something in mind for myself, but I'm thinking of a specific person in my life. Hmm. that I've watched do this over time. Oh. And I'm sure I do it too because I think it's it's not totally uncommon and I don't necessarily even mean giant things. But yeah. But also, does it matter? Sometimes. And sometimes to me it matters. It, it might not matter. Un- well, it matters if it's affecting other people. I guess like, I... Like, now I'm thinking of, like, relationships, but I don't think that it's something... <laughs> well, I just meant... Here. I just meant, yeah. like, when Max is saying at what point do you believe it, it's like committing to the faking like yeah. it's it's mm. not saying that you're lying to your close friends like no over you're and believing over. in yourself you're like yeah. investing Confidence. in yourself mm. yeah, yeah that's what i meant by all that oh well yeah probably with curating i mean even if it's like i don't know what i'm doing i'm, I'm constantly eventually you just start asking questions oh can i tell an anecdote about the other night when we were hanging out yeah so Max and I went out to a bar in Baltimore called Colette. That's Colette, yeah. Colette. And we were hanging out kind of like by a table. And then suddenly we realized we had been kind of horseshoed in by this group of, I would say, 15 clearly senior citizens. Many of them had canes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were often in couples, men and women. And they were having a wild good time. Yeah. And They just come from... Uh, what was the French love and friendship? Yeah, the Charles mm-hmm. and Max and I were having our own personal conversation, and at some point we just committed 
that we were going to turn around and like join the party. I'm very proud of this. I think this was like a really good evening and I'm, I'm glad that we mm-hmm. went for it. But then we were having these conversations with a group of complete strangers, most of which were at the at a point in their lives where they didn't seem to be so concerned with where their career was going because they were elderly. And they were like, so what do you guys do? Like, what are, what are your backgrounds? And I noticed, I mean, the language we used, we were having fun. We were drinking and like joking with them to some extent, but we made ourselves sound like fucking awesome. Yeah. And we were like helping each other. It was almost like we had just like gone out and like pretended to be new people, but we also didn't tell any lies. No. But I know we were we were just like playing that night. That's what yeah. it's like to live in New York. Huh. <laughs> that sounds really exciting. That's not that exciting, but also I think it was exciting. It's like a skill. It's a skill. Yeah. I'd like to think it was exciting in our case because we're never gonna see those people again, and it didn't matter at all. And they were just like. Oh, that's interesting. You're young. Yeah. Is that um? Is there a <laughs> word for that kind of practice? Self-aggrandizement, peacocking. peacocking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not like role playing. <laughs> oh, RPG. No, <laughs> no. For those, of you, for those of you in my family wondering, Max and I are not in a relationship. I was recently asked that by a family member who listens to this podcast. But uh, on that note, I do think there is something like vaguely like role playing about it. Like I know couples that would do that kind of thing that would go out and like pretend to be totally different people mm. and then like get in fights and, and it like fake fights in order to cause a scene and then mm. go. And yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're more like each other's wing people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love Max with all my heart. Uh, it's because the other night I said I was sleeping over at your house. Oh, true. And then I got all these questions and like, you know. Yeah, wasn't even my house. Yeah. So whatever. You know who you are asking questions. Mom. It's you, it's mom. <laughs> we should probably end it about here cuz we're <laughs> it's going to be a long one either way. Yeah. And I just I wanted to end by saying, "Mom, leave me alone. I'm a grown-up." I'm a grown-up. I'm going to get a job. Bettina's going to get a job. My mom doesn't care about whether I get a job. She's actually like surprisingly pretty good about that. My mom just wants me to move home. I'm moving home to live with my mom. <laughs> my mom doesn't want me to move home. She doesn't? I don't know what she wants. You don't want to move home with your mom. Mom, if you're listening to this, <laughs> write an email to humanipodcast at gmail.com and tell each of us moms... What do, you, what do you want us to do? We might not do it. On the next episode <laughs> of Human Eye, parents. Oh, can't live with them. Can't live without them. They just don't understand. Mom. Mom, can you help me? Help mommy. Miss you, Mom. Bye, Mom. Love you, Moms. Love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Hi, Dad. Hi. Weird. Yeah, that was weird.